0: Let's be honest, most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today.
1: Critical Mass.
2: That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs
3: Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. Is PFM dead? Invisible? Or has personal financial management just evolved to something a little bit more useful? I'm David Breer, and today I'll dig into this topic along with my 11FS colleagues, Jason Bates and Simon Taylor. As always, we're recording this live in Level 39 in London, the heart of fintech. Joining us for an in-depth dive into PFM and digital money management are Frankie Woodhead, Director of Commercial and Channels at Barclays, Victor Trokudis, founder of Plum, the first Facebook bot for automated savings, and Paul Venado, GM of Strands Finance. Enjoy the show. And today we are talking all about digital money management. Joining us for this discussion, we have Frankie Woodhead, Director of Commercial and Channels at Barclays. Say hey, Frankie. Hey, guys. We have Victor Trokidis.
4: Trokidis. Oh,
3: very close. Founder <laughs> of Plum, the first Facebook bot for automated savings. Very interesting. Say hey. Hi, guys. And we have Pal Valendo. How's that sound? Yeah, very, very good. Well, I'm getting closer. GM of Strands Finance, which develops fintech software that enables banks to offer personalised digital banking experiences, it sounds very relevant to what we're about to talk about. Um, in terms of where we're going to go with this, the there's been some pretty interesting articles put out about PFM lately. Um, probably one of the earliest ones or one of the particularly interesting ones was on the financial brand. So shout out to Jim on that one. We had PFM is dead, long live data driven money management. Now that sounds like a interesting place to start for this piece. but PFM, what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, should we define PFM? I mean, oh, do you want to tell us what you, you mean when you say personal finance management and is that how you describe yourself?
0: Yeah, certainly. So uh, the concept of PFM has evolved a lot. It started to be uh, a means to consume your finances that the bank offered you in a more uh, subtle and, let's say, resumed way to make it a lot easier. Those were the the old PFM style applications. I completely endorse the statement that PFM is dead, if we understand as an old way to, to consume that type of finances. Now it's very much data-driven. So we better like to talk about invisible PFM. So those mobile banking apps are, are powered by data. You don't necessarily need to see it, but it's there. And suddenly you st- try to feel that the, the system so, knows so give you. Let's know.
1: an example of the difference. So is personal finance management, Was that, I mean, the cynic always said, you know, it's, it's just a pie chart, right? It's just some graphs, Correct. but actually being data-driven, is that more, what, what's the difference there?
0: So, that, that's correct. So the, the, the old way to consume PFM was based on charts. You get the pie chart, you get the bar chart, the, the, the trend line, telling about how your categories were uh, instead of mixing of uh, your expenses. Today, um, the PFM is used to trigger banking processes, to trigger a loan, to trigger a credit card um, subscription, to trigger a savings goal to move some money apart, because the system is understanding how you are moving your money and how you are uh, spending it.
3: Mm. I think increasingly, like you say as well, the first wave of PFM that we saw was very much standalone. Right? We saw, uh, you know, Lloyd's with money manager being a Correct. separate entity in terms of what was there. You know, it was a an alternative to the way in which you bank. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw. Uh, move who's uh, continuing to do this in terms of a separate companion app in terms of doing it. But I think the, the most useful place is putting this as close to where the customers actually are in terms of the day-to-day pieces. So, Is PFM not dead, but maybe PFM is the way that we actually bank. It is a better way of banking. It's the integrated experience that's changing.
0: Yes. So the the, the PFM, as I was saying, uh, has evolved uh, dramatically. In in the old times, banks were using to to think in terms of a syllogism that I spend this much money in this app, but I don't get the adoption rate and people is not using it. So this is some sort of, of a failure. Um, that, that, that's a wrong way of understanding PFM. So um, how you need to understand PFM is that this type of technology is the core brains of the mobile banking app, and everything is plugged on top of that. So traditional banking capabilities like transactions, credit cards, loan subscriptions, and so on should be plugged on top of this data-driven. Uh,
5: I think the um, the key one for me is the word personal. I think. Um I agree with the sentiment as well. It implies the individual is responsible for taking the actions and the organisations or the services in which provide them don't add incremental benefit to the customer. So uh, for me, the word personal, if you replace data-driven financial management, in theory, is kind of the same thing. So for us, it's how do you take information, transform that information to give relevant services at the right time? It is not easy at scale. Um, It's very easy to say, do you mean, you've gone overdrawn, sorry. Um, What we like to do is think, uh, a week ahead, one of the themes we've seen is people tend to be very good with knowing when they get paid. Like pretty, people remember that a lot, like you never, when do you get paid, oh, forgot. Uh, very few people uh, do that, however, there are little things where they don't happen as frequently or they maybe don't look the same, so the big thing we see is um, where people get into trouble is things known as continuous payment authority. It's very boring. It's slightly different to direct debits. It looks and feels the same from a consumer perspective, but you don't get to see it in your normal place. They don't happen. They can happen a bit more sporadically. So things like Netflix, which is a generally a monthly subscription comes in a certain way, huge driver for us and for customers. So what we've tried to do is second guess if that payment is gonna happen. Like David, and FYI, your Netflix of £9.99 is due to come out in four days. You might need to think about doing something different about that. That's using what we know about Insight that drives problems to deliver financial management. I think the old way of doing it would have been here's a pie chart showing all of your payments to Netflix. Please do something with this. Mm-hmm.
6: Sorry, it's after the event. So I think that's the key difference for me. But so. I think I think that was the the old PFM was data porn. Mm-hmm. It was we oh we have this spreadsheet, we have this list of transactions. How could we group this and show this and oh well, averages and medians and I'm I'm a financial Netflix. economic kind of person so therefore what, what ways can we show this, this data? So it was very much sort of looking at what you had in, in terms of transactional data and saying, how can we show this differently? Well, I think the, the new style of PFM from my view is really that looking from a customer's perspective inwards mm. and saying, what do I need to make mm. a decision at some point or other? Or what do you need to give me? What insight do you need to give me at, mm. at a time that leads me to look at my finances or to, to consider something? Because I think that that whole customer-driven, you know, what am I looking for, uh, leads to something very different. Because you look at a pie chart, you say, "Well, what job is that doing for the customer?" Mm. Okay, they know they spend twelve point two percent on transport and fifteen point five percent on food. So what? It's the so what that I think is Mm. interesting. I think think,
4: does that does that need to be in an app or can it sit in another interface? Yeah. so, So I think I think hearing you guys talk, I think like we're kind of taking it a step further and saying we're gonna actually take actions on based on the data. So, so what Plum does is doesn't even, like let's say you can t- you can predict the transactions coming based on the data, right? And that's kind of interesting, but like, I guess for me, personal financial management has an end goal of being in a better financial situation, right, position. And I guess the way to achieve that, at least at the, the beginning of that, is actually having like savings, right? So that's why what Plum does is, takes this data and theoretically could tell you, I think you can save 200 pounds a month, right? Now, 200 pounds a month is kind of, okay, that's, let's say a big amount, right? So when do you save that money? Will What's your spending gonna look like during the month? So I guess the way we've taken the use of this data is actually, well, we're not even gonna tell you how much we think you can save. Well, we might at some point in the future, but we're actually gonna save money for you. So for me, like, I don't know what you wanna call it, but I think you wanna call it like intelligence that sits on top of your current account and actually does stuff that you can reverse and cancel, but uh, but it's actually doing stuff. Because I think the biggest friction in financial services is making that decision, right? Advice is great, but normally it's the, you know, you should invest in this, but then, okay, you can think about it on a Sunday and then you never do it. Whereas we're trying to get the doing going on a lot more based on the data. That
3: sounds good. And I, and I love this idea of, you know, the the um, digital services are moving to much more of a proactive state yeah. than just a reactive. You know, to, your, to everybody's point, really, you know, for, for many, a year, a statement has been a collection of things you should have done differently and uh, and actually moving to a point where you're using that information to
4: highlight particular problems that might be coming up, as you say, Frankie, but also take action on that. That's, retrospective is very, it's kind of useless most of the time, retrospective. Yeah. You want something that is actually happening and then you can almost reverse it. That's, that's the way we think about it.
0: And I, I think, just to add on top of that, uh, the, the, the key change in the paradigm was that traditionally all the systems were transactional based. Mm-hmm. So the transaction gave place to data, you were consuming those pie charts and so on. Today the different. The approach is to- totally different. You get the data and then you trigger transactions based on that data. So um, wh- one of the challenges to renew all the uh, technology that sits in on the digital channels for, for banks is to, to shift uh, the mindset towards a more data-driven uh, approach instead of transaction-driven approach because the transaction-driven approach ends Consuming data. you're not using look, it.
1: Because you've got to look at the past and the future rather right. than just the thing that just happened. Correct. The thing that just happened is the trigger for something else to happen. Correct. But actually it, it might not be the trigger. It might actually be that this algorithm is constantly running and constantly looking at it and it kind of reaches a tolerance where it's like, okay, now we're within a threshold where I can see you've probably got enough money in your bank account. You can I mean I would love that. <laughs> like there's always that period where you sit down and think, Right, I've got to spend like four or five hours and I've got to think things through and I don't want to think like I, I don't have to think with Uber and I don't have to think with Netflix like it just takes care of it it gets out of the way and there's something about getting out of the way that, and that's quite nice I think the, um, the elephant
5: in the room is PSD2 so I think majority of people could say they can keep a handle on their current account it goes in you make payments out, and for for most, you can cope. You can check your banking app. You can do what you like. I think the future is when you can pull in. You've got a rewards credit card. You've got X. You travel a lot, so you you've managed to get something. You pull that into a single interface, and then the I like the theory of the if then then that because yeah. the reality of uh, there were some really old school things around uh, way before I was in banking around sweeps. I don't know if you remember these. If you have X, then sweep. If you ever wanted to pay money, it was a, it was a really tough thing. It was a nightmare to manage because if I have more than a thousand pounds in my account sweep a hundred pounds away mm-hmm. Um, you put 2000 in because you need to pay for something, it swept itself straight back out and it was really hard to do. So I think the, the intelligence part, the customer-driven element is super critical. So how you create said rules. So there's gonna be some bread and butter ones. If I'm going to go overdrawn, let me know. If I'm going to run out of money and I'm gonna be stuck and I can't get an Uber, let me know. I think the how people develop on top of that is gonna be the really exciting and important stuff because um, the, the savings aspects is really interesting, but ultimately you're asking people to change behaviors. Behavior. Think mm-hmm.
4: like if it's less coffee, if it's a cheaper coffee. Well, we, that's that's an interesting thing. I mean, we're we're taking kind of the weird approach that we're not asking you to change behavior. I, I think it's a, so. If you if you move five pounds from someone's account five times in, in 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 a month, it's like a very. It, it's it's for most people that's a small amount that you don't really notice. It's almost like you're in a weird way. It's like almost like losing money, right? Like you can lose twenty pounds and and you'll still get to the end of the month. But what we've seen is there's a positive feedback loop from the point where people start seeing the small savings, then they get a bit excited and they're like, I can actually do it. And then they maybe change their behavior because we're definitely not gonna be the app that tells you you're spending too much on coffee, right? But we're gonna show you that you've saved like 100 pounds and we might show you how much you've spent on different things and you can switch your behavior.
6: And that's. I love the fact we're talking about a savings product, which is probably traditionally one of those boring products in yeah. the world. Mm. Uh, for work that we've done at 11FS talking uh, w- around savings, what strikes me as interesting is are the different behavioural mechanics of doing it. Yeah. And I know we're kind of broadening this out, but for me, PFM is no longer just about pie chart, yeah. but about the whole behavioural mechanics of doing it. So we've seen that with uh, savings, for instance, you can save by taking your paycheck and taking a percentage or an amount out at the, at the start. Mm-hmm. You pay yourself and then, you know, and that's, that's great for things that you really have to save up for. You know, there's no choice about paying that car insurance or your rent or something. It's like, it has to be taken out. You've got the end of the month sweep, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got £100 left, right, move that out and then I'll start from scratch again. You've got the the savings tax through the, let's round it up to the nearest amount. You've got the intelligent, well, we'll watch at how you're spending and then start to move money out. You've got the instant impulse saving uh, that a couple of uh, banks have brought out, which seems odd in terms of press the button and instantly move money around. But what interests me is we've gone from an account that has terms and conditions of getting hold of your money, an interest rate, and it's a it's a box that you you put money yeah. in, and we've expanded it to this behavioral thing that all of those things feel different, they have different outcomes, they have different mechanics. Uh, it's so it's it's such an interesting set of savings products. So I'm going to go a little bit dry for like thirty seconds,
3: please
5: please bear with me. So oh, here we go. Brace yourself, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I think it ultimately comes down to education. So again, I talk about it in the room. In the room, if we don't know how to save and how to put things away for certain times in our life, I have concerns. I hope most of our listeners know how to save and what that means. I think the broader societal impact of saving um, in terms of how do we get a 21-year-old that's just out of university or in their first job to start a pension? it's very dull. It's quite boring for a 21-year-old that wants to save up for a holiday. The amount you save as a 21-year-old versus being a 30-year-old is fundamentally going to change your pension age. So A, super important, and everyone needs to consider how they do it. I think the behavioral change stuff is really cool, but how we think about generational changes, because chances are you're not saving to have £200 for a rainy day or to buy a coat. People are saving for a, a wedding, a house, a car, it's really important times. And it's really tough. So I think how you match the emotion of what they're trying to achieve mm-hmm. with the day to day sacrifices that I think they have. And I agree partly with the you can take five pounds here. But at the same time, I think if you want to make a real dent towards a
4: big life objective, then you need to make some fundamental change. And that is hard. Yeah, no, no, I, I, completely, I, I agree. And I think I think goals are something that will definitely come in like the aspirational aspect of, of why you want to put money away is there i just didn't, i just think that a lot of times it's daunting and i think that's why people don't do it and also i think the biggest problem's like really far away so 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 that's why when you're 21 so that's why like i probably started building plum when i was 32 because i realized shit i didn't do those right choices when i was 21 <laughs> and my my dad's been talking to me about life insurance and i'm like dad like no one around me has life insurance i have no clue what you're talking about you know what i mean and th- so there's probably good financial products out there but i think you got to like lure people in and i think that's what we're uh, i mean when we built the product we're like what's the most frictionless thing we can do to get people saving and the most frictionless thing to do is tell them we're just going to do it for you because as soon as you start asking them what do you want to save for in how many years you want to do that they're like whoa okay okay now, now I'm like planning about 10 years ahead uh, which is the right thing to do and I, and I think that's where we want to change the behaviour and, and, and kind of get to- but it's like baby steps isn't it exactly you, you, you yes. don't think right I'm going to swallow the whole
1: shark I want like a bit of sushi first yeah. like just get me into the thing like, like, that's a weird metaphor uncooked shark
3: so is this process then to your point Frankie uh, uh, it's a you know, we, we've put kind of, um, you know, we love a good buzzword, don't mm. we, right? You know, PFM, DMM, whatever. You know, is this just the evolution of where digital banking needs to go and banking more generally? You know, we're moving to a much more proactive state with regards to the services, the advice that we can offer in a real-time nature. Yep. Is this just the evolution of banking? I
5: think it, it, it has to be and it will mm. be. Uh, Do you mean, again, Jason, the guys and what the guys at Monday are doing is really good. However, I think um, it has to be around generation. So couldn't agree more. Um, Majority of people, if we can save £25 a month, super interesting. However, I know there's an article recently where the actual millennials save the most. So either they're looking to do something, something's changed. However, we've got something right in education. Five ten 10 years ago. However, I think how we support customers at every single point in their life stage. So 16, I remember like getting five pounds for doing some jobs that my parents didn't want to do and putting it in a box. And then it was like, oh, going and buy a video game. That helped me understand what it meant to save. It gets much harder as you have to make tough decisions in life, but I think at the, at the other end, Um, investments and the scale of how people do that. I think that investments is a scary word and should be part of what everything do. What we look to do is offer investments as simple as we offer savings, but it has to be done in an educated manner, in an environment that you are used to. If it looks like um, an investment bank screen, chances are you're gonna feel fairly daunted. You have to bring it to local people so they understand it. And that's absolutely what we're trying to do. So if it's text messages for people that are close to their balances, and we'll move that into push notifications Mm -hmm. as we see the uh, benefit or if it's for investing at the top end of the scale or where people need to invest for their retirement, then absolutely that's what we I need to do. I think there's
1: something really sophisticated about that concept that you both mentioned, which is this idea that you do something unintimidating, you do something yeah. that's frictionless, something that's easy, but over time you try and educate people to do more advanced things and bring them up that learning curve because nobody wants to think about finances, but if they don't realize they're learning, then actually you know, it's kind of like watching kids' TV shows. Like I, I love the Muppets, but I don't realize I'm learning, but but I love the count. Yeah, uh, but
6: that, and that's exactly it. For me, it's not education. It's training and shaping. Mm-hmm. You know, no one reads the manual. You know, they just don't. You, you have to start and get into it. And there's plenty of education out there available yeah. at the moment if you really wanted to look for it. You know, there are YouTube videos and books galore on personal finance and making it happen. So for me, it's less about education and more about this seduction. I think more it's about a, using yeah, the the dark science of marketing and shaping and behavioral and change the, 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 in order the, the, to make that happen.
0: On, on top of that, I would say that uh, the the key thing here is, in, in terms of retail banking, we need to, to think that uh, the the real challenge is to make that happen automatically. Yeah. You, you cannot have an army of people programming expert rules, and and I want to pick the the topic of PSD two then uh, because the. One of the smartest way to, to train systems that can behave autonomously is to, bring able, uh, to, to to being able to bring external data in one single repository that, is, that makes the system learns better about your preferences. because if you only uh, work in a very restricted domain within a bank, that might be very uh, biased and, and, and the outcome might not be really relevant in terms of the experience that you're getting. we're interacting with the system i think
4: i think just one interesting point that we've been talking about here is that like kind of intentions there but how do you train people and how how do you educate them and and i think that's why maybe it's me i don't know but i don't really like watching help videos i don't really like reading like long books about how to invest money i used to be a trader as well but I still don't know how to do it and and i like the way i behave is i want to ask someone right i want to talk to someone And, and and that's really i think another thing like you might have the right you might have the data. You might have uh, where to put the money, but the way people I think are more used to interacting, which is what like's died over the last what X years, is that you don't have anyone to talk to about your finances, right? You can talk to your friends. You can talk to your dad. No one talks to their banker about it, right? So, so you need that interface. You need that thing, and that's that's a key component uh, of being able to open that conversation. And that's why like we've built on like Facebook Messenger, and there's like a, there's a chatbot element to it. Uh, I guess there's something interesting there about.
6: Uh, we don't talk to our friends about money. You know, it's one of those like yeah. last taboos. Yeah. Like, how do you manage your finances? I have no idea how, you know, my friends and colleagues and wife, I suppose, sorry, sorry Mrs. B, <laughs> uh, you know, manages money. And actually when I was doing, or when we continued to do customer interviews, the, the craziest idiosyncratic stories arise yeah. as to how everyone's sort of found their way of doing yeah. it that kind of yeah. works well enough for them. I,
3: I think that's <laughs> particularly a UK thing though. Like,
4: it is it, it is if it's you, true.
3: If you speak more, you know, Europeans a little bit more, I'm already right. saying Europeans like we're not part of it. Like in the US, people talk more yeah. way more openly in terms of like finances, in terms of doing stuff. So, you know, maybe it's just us. We're like way too uptight over here to, to really talk to well, people about well,
2: it. I think it's a part. Big point about that, managing a family is difficult. I've Mm -hmm. got young children, I've got elder parents, and and banking has been this solitary existence. I've not seen many PFM solutions or or banking solutions tackle that over and above, say, a joint account. Mm -hmm. And you you end up having, as a household, we manage Mm -hmm. by having lots of little different products. I have a credit card just for petrol. Mm -hmm. We have a a current account just for shopping. Because there's no digital way of of chopping these things up and making them uh, finite. Not just saying, oh, you've got a shopping budget that you can blow, whatever. (laughs) There's this much money in this account. When we run out, you can't buy food and that kind of
5: it's
3: grim design
5: isn't no it yeah. behave with us
3: autonomously <laughs> 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 I not possible love for me. Yeah, yeah. um is is there a part to this though where um you know I, th- I think in the context where we are we're talking about but you know we we can very quickly jump to a end state solution and actually you know, arguably if working in banking for, you know, a period of time taught me anything is that customers hate change, Mm. you know? So the idea of moving from something that feels very much like it's you on your own to something being completely automated in terms of that experience with all the bells, all the whistles, all the uh, pie charts. If you go back far enough, then, um, you know, actually that idea might just be like a bridge too far Mm. with regards to the, the actual dialogue and dynamic that actually most high street banks have with their customer. So how do we slow, you know maybe the idea you know we we lambast big banking organizations for not really jumped into this but arguably it has to be a toe in the water a toe in the water in movement to get customers used to this types of services rather than just throwing everything at them but, and letting them deal with but it. that's great
6: product design i mean you know the the work i led at monzo started to if you do leave, say so back um, led to progressive feature disclosure. You know, it's actually led to making the product more interesting and complicated as customers got into it. I I really like the, the analogy with video games. You know, they've been targeted and they've been um, engineered over such a period of time where no one reads the manual anymore because the game gets you into it. It makes it simple to start off with, it makes it more complex, it gives you the added buttons, the grenades and the rocket you know launchers, you see what games I play. Mm-hmm. But there's something about this uh, not dropping someone into the middle of a complex financial products and situation. But training them yeah. not into not only into the better behaviors, but actually be t- training them to become a power user over time. And
1: we talked spoke to Tandem last week on the podcast, and they said exactly the same thing. And I think as as product design goes, I love that term: progressive feature disclosure. <laughs> like, but but you know, you use any new you use Slack for the first time, you use Asana for the first time, you use any of these like web based products, and when you go in, it sort of grabs you by the hand and shows you the first few things. And if you've used it a million times before and it's just a new account, you're like, get out of my way. (laughs) But actually for a first time user, that's hugely valuable. It increases conversion, increases usage, like the
0: stats on that are phenomenal. (laughs) One of the reasons that that explains that is that uh, traditionally banks build these um, money management technologies on top of existing technology. And therefore it's very difficult to embrace that, that uh, progressive learning. And um, we believe that um, for mobile digital banking, less is more, which means that behind scenes, you need very powerful engines that are able to tackle what is going to be your next move, your next click, your next action, sure. instead of you having to navigate through through the app.
4: Mm. I, so, mean, I think one more thing is, is extremely basic, and I, I thought of it as coming to this podcast, but it's just like basic terminology that that is still used in banks. It's kind of say so you talk about Slack, it's kind of the way you're used to interacting with I don't know uh, chat, you know chat, chat interfaces. So it's very natural to you, but also it's the language that probably banks are improving but still the language that they're using like i remember when i started my career as a trader i was talking to a friend of mine that was in accounting and he was like you know what like i realized that all that you guys do in like banking and trading is kind of like use these like words that we don't understand and we think it's like bloody complicated but actually like all you're doing is buying things that are going up and selling things that are going down right yeah. but it, you just, it just alienates people and i think it's still kind of there it's like
5: it's not like superhuman language yet. So, I think the, the key part for me is you have to take people at the point that they are in their education curve. So, I tell a story about oh, my wife's friend, teacher in London didn't know it was bad to take uh, money out from a credit card. So she was withdrawing cash, so I'll Mm -hmm. take £100 out, didn't know that that was bad. So I think, I mean, again, as an industry, and again, all of us that work in financial services, we owe it to society to help inform. But at the same time, how we use that information to progressively move people through the curve, I think automation is absolutely where it will go. I think we have some way to go to help people feel accountable and empowered. You make a a joke about your wife. My wife just last week on Saturday, she just figured out pivot tables. So she'd like got all of our transactions, Added additional field pivot table said you've spent thirty seven pound eighty at the pub on the joint account last month. <laughs> it was like an absolute. Uh, and then, but she had done this in a way. And to be fair, the dis- the decision she was going to do differently, um, how she looked at our finances, and she said, "Now I need you to do your American Express." And yeah. I was, "Oh no, <laughs> December is not good for American Express." Um, however, but the thing it did create was she understood the data. She'd been part of the solution. So if someone would have automated mm. and said, "Here's." Here's a text message. Here's a notification. Your husband spent £37.80 in the pub. Chances are I should have swiped left, ignore.
4: I think and she would wouldn't have that. I think, yeah. I think, think she wouldn't have done that. And <laughs> do yeah, screenshot. That's exactly what she wants. Sorry, i want am Tinder for personal finance. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
5: That's a good idea. Yeah, I like um, it. But there is something. But I think it's about accountability. Yeah. The, the person... Part of it is um, education. Part of it is training, hundred percent. But at the same time, if an individual takes accountability, they get the support. Whether it's notif- a really imp- notification strategy around this is so important because if you get it wrong, and some apps have got it wrong day zero, you lost a cust- You've lost a customer forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is, a, a customer looks the same. And I'll go back to the to the news podcast we had a couple of days ago. But uh, the big part was how do you. Uh, do it in a way that's individual to the person. And it has to be segment of one because if Jason spent £37.80 on beer um, and he spent £37.80 the the month before, but if he was doing dry December, very boring, um, that would be a very poor use of his money. But for me, it would be uh, £37.80, I'll take that.
1: And a poor use of December.
5: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But I think the the key part is how do you get to segment of one? Um, All organisations are attempting, like I said, we're very much uh, looking at the... How, how do we support customers who are close to overdrafts and t- charges? And like I said, I was listening to the Tandem podcast and I was there knocking on my phone again. <laughs> However, do you mean the Netflix example I started with, that's real use of data money management. The investing via a single online banking platform at the top end is real money management. But it's it, it, it's a fine balance and it has to be
3: personalised. So, so are we, you know, we're at the risk of, belittling PFM into being this power charts laden graph heavy, but this is about changing the dialogue with customers. It's about bringing in and getting permission for banks to actually talk to customers about things in a different way. That feels much greater shift than than really anybody's done so far. But but there's there's also a problem there of business
6: model because actually when a, a, you know, a traditional bank makes 30% of their revenue from unauthorized overdraft fees and forex and everything else, there's a problem with transparency there that you could be an amazing PFM provider, but are, yeah. are we really going to push along that line when actually the credit card company makes great money from that ATM? That's someone's yeah. that's someone's
5: revenue it's line. So somebody's
0: line bonus, right? That,
6: yeah, that you're you're eating into.
5: So I think to like, keep that around the financial. So as mentioned, we've been doing the notifications for the best part of two years now. It's we've saved customers about fifty million pound per year in charges over the last four years no one likes it. However, there is a point we need to communicate to customers. So, do you mean you continue to get it right? We've seen stats and you, anyone who's in kind of marketing who's been around open rates of emails and letters and texts, very poor, we get 50% of every customer that gets sent that notification does something about it. We still have to get in touch with that other 50% and crack it. But ultimately, we're willing to make them decisions and we will do and continue to do.
0: And, and this is one of the key drivers to be loyalty. So, if, if you are looking after a strong engagement, you need to put that transparency at favor of your user so uh, this loyalty will will uh, allow you to put other type of businesses or other type of opportunities in front of the user that will compensate those fees that you are not reaping.
1: And i think nobody's under an illusion about you know the fact that there's a fee structure that they might not fully understand but there's an opportunity here to explain it well and i think getting good at explaining things well is kind right. of the
3: theme of this conversation mm-hmm. isn't it Correct. and and I, and I think the the thing is i think people won't Banks to talk to them from a point of expertise. They want them to understand them, and actually, by you know, using the data that they have on them, and, and no, and nobody begrudges banks selling products, but you know, the difference between good marketing, bad marketing is probably timing, right? Mm. And actually, no better timing can be is when you actually really understand the situation that their actual customer is in.
1: And I think the art here is taking something that is jargon laden, that is full of complexity and simplifying it for people. Mm -hmm. So you've got all of this complex data, but actually that is the real art. Like complex is easy, simple is hard without losing the granularity of what you're saying. But but this isn't a digital technology
6: thing. Like I don't I'm not bank bashing, but plain English and working things out and communicating has been, you could have done that by letter you know, for a very long time. And we just can't get away from the fact that, to a certain extent, opacity benefits banks' bottom lines. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can use percentages and EAR, like, who outside of this building or, you know, this room understands what
1: EAR is and how that affects lending? So being a former bank employee, I actually, you know, from, from that cultural side, I very rarely saw somebody go. Oh, let's make up some more jargon so we can trick people. Like I don't think that's the thing. I think it's something that's inherited rather than intended. It just happens to be a fact of life. Like so, the the goal of simplifying, I think, is shared amongst the industry. If,
0: if you look at these challenger banks, they're all after these type of statements. They all endorse this approach to transparency, not to build on fees that can be um, saved. And as challenger banks, the traditional banks are following the path because. It, this drives, a lot, as I said before, a lot of loyalty and a lot of adoption.
4: I'll say something controversial in the sense that I shouldn't be saying like I, I was. Well, isn't like I was at Transferwise, where we were all about transparency, uh, and I think banks are in a tough position uh, because banks overcharge us for stuff and there's a lot of hidden fees, right? But it, and this is the controversial part. But at the same time, they give a lot of things for free, right? So the, the current account's free, payments are free, etc. In a, and I don't know the whole like uh, kind of calculation behind banks where they actually where they make most of their money etc and how much is like these hidden fees etc but my point is that like there will be all of these new digital banks right they come up and give everything for free and are super transparent and the FX fee is like backed by transfer so it's 50 basis points so it's not 50 pounds for a thousand pounds it's five pounds it's all it's great it's good for the consumers a good movement but it means these are becoming I mean it's just basically you're shrinking your profit right you're doing nothing more than that and I wonder how many of these like, services that are taken for granted, there are for like, ATM withdrawals. I mean, ATMs cost, unfortunately, right? But like someone runs in and they cost, but like banks eat up the fees and, and like Revolut chose to, let's say, eat up the fees. And up a
1: transactions and, 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 right? So there's a whole bunch of little fees that banks are eating on your exactly. behalf all the time that I don't think is a story that's told.
4: No, it's not. And, and, and the question is, yeah. So so if you're offering everything for free, which is great, and all us fintechs are trying to do it, but then you still have to be thinking in the background. So, I be- so there's
1: a business model that works really well for Netflix and, and others you know, in, in the space of like that subscription model. And it's something that as consumers, we've always kind of like Pulled away from those accounts where things get bundled in, but again, it's I think it's a, a messaging or a packaging thing that's been missing. You know, it's like here's a bunch of other stuff you'll get with your free account. Rather than why not subscribe to your bank and then change the business model? But I think of the, bank. the
4: thing is, no that one thinks they're going to get overcharged, right? So when you get a free account, uh, you're not presuming that you're going to spend money on all of these other things. So it's. It's kind of like, how would you ever opt into a paid account? That would be like, ludicrous in this country.
0: We, we, we have a similar product as the PFM for SMEs. And whereas on, on the retail banking, nobody would pay for this type of technology, all the SMEs are willing to pay for those mm. services. Right. And they are very happy because they perceive the value of the bank, helping them to manage their finances, the mm. tax, the payrolls, accounts receivables, and all this stuff. So pr- probably, Part of the of the shift in the paradigm would come in, in this direction, mm. so maybe there's one day where uh, the end user will be happy to pay a small fee to the bank so that they have very um, good and accurate advice. Mm.
5: So again, two points for me first one around the Monzo thing I'm willing to say competition drives innovation like we welcome everyone that's in the market it's great to see, and I know when the guys from Monzo were on and I heard them talk about what we were doing and what you guys are doing that is a good thing there's nothing comes out of Good competition at an industry level. I was just thinking about what's an example of good. A competition that drives, and I was reading about Usain Bolt. Does anyone know who um, how quick the second and third man was in comparison to Usain, and how that would have been? They would have been the quickest human beings by anyone if Usain Bolt would have been around. So competition pushes on uh, the whole industry. I think coming back to your point, we've, um, we like I said, I mentioned it in the news a few a few days ago. We've launched exactly the product you're referring to. So um, it's in pilot at the minute. But if you can enable a business to understand exactly what they're doing, understand their customers Understand geography, understand their demographic. That's really powerful because you can do something with it. And as you say, um, it's reusing the data that we have to enable businesses to grow. And absolutely, that's part of our strategy.
3: I can, you know, the the area of commercial PFM is massively untapped, mm-hmm. as you say. And actually, that that gap has generally been filled by third party, you know, players. And you know, the the quickens, the zeros, these types of guys moving into that market and doing it really, really well, and almost providing you know, the commercial current account you would want. So fantastic, you're moving into that space. I was going to say zero. I think a, a perfect, yeah, example, a, a of, a perfect of,
2: example of what yeah. a real ecosystem of banking looks like. You know, they're becoming mm. the homepage of a business. Ooh. I mean, I'm fascinated what the retail equivalent of, of, of that is. You touched on PSD2. Mm. We're going to get a whole different set of, of players I hope we get a, a whole different set of interfaces as well, because we talk about pie charts, we talk about interfaces created by bankers, obviously Monzo not bankers, but-, but I think like, yeah. I, 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 I'm hoping that there's going to be individual access allows transaction data. It's mm. not clear at the moment whether CMA or PSD. People, the operating system. Aren't, aren't crazy people to build crazy interfaces that nobody else would, would think about? Because yeah. the way that you interact with that money is so individual mm. that, I want to make a computer games scenario. Something like something beautiful like Journey versus Call of Duty. Yeah. They're the same they're
3: on the same computer. Call of Duty's pretty beautiful, <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, not, not as beautiful as Journey. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but so well are we facing into a period where, you know, given, you know, post PSD two, is this the, you know, everybody's gonna launch a different skin? Do you know, is this the the weird but aging myself here Winamp days of kind of you know I think the last wow. for our younger years. listeners that yeah. was
2: an MP3 player okay.
6: thank before you very much
5: MP3s are and all the other compression formats
2: before before iTunes, Spotify, Spotify.
3: <laughs> but, but are we you know, we're getting, are we going to be getting into that, that place where anybody can launch any crazy permutation yeah. of interface to do it because actually you've got access to the services access to the data so
2: that- there's a few regulatory hurdles that people are wanting to control access to that data
3: so that we might
2: not get the the winamp variations but hopefully we will
3: there will be fairly light and we will be able to see a lot more creativity and uh, or or I guess fundamentally are we
4: going to get no interface
3: you know are we moving to a world where actually you know completely invisible transactions and completely invisible PFMs where we'll go
4: I think quite quickly like uh, the the display of the data and what we're discussing here like you know predicting like Netflix transactions etc will become uh, or like you know presenting nice pie charts like people like on Monzo like will become kind of the norm And, and I think it'll be more about the value that you give from that data uh, immediately rather than displaying in a different way. I think it'll become the norm quite quickly for most banks to show you your data in a good way.
0: I I think also we we have to take into consideration and we are seeing from from some customers that uh, banks are starting to think in terms of, let's say, uh, PFM beyond banking. So they they want to start gathering data from utility providers, telcos, the uh, insurance company, Mm -hmm. and this all completes the the accurate profile of the individual and it's undeniable the, the evolution of the open standards so but to your question I think yes so everyone can contribute with this uh, new interface and with these, with these new applications and I think it will be all in favor of having more data available for being consolidated around uh, profiles but what I think is that probably this will turn out to be something more like a utility service where it will be consolidated around a very few players. So there is, there is a scale problem that not everyone can play. You can contribute with small things, with small APIs, with small things, but the ones who will be able to consolidate need a certain scale
1: yeah if you're going to put all that picture together you need to be sort of almost web scale don't you and this is correct you know the the people that make money off data are web scale businesses it's it's google banks are not there yet banks are not web scale businesses they're national critically infrastructure important businesses um but but i think you know if, if data is really becoming this uh kind of key thing for kind of having your complete life picture or the operating system for your business or the operating system for your life in terms of finances then, you know, it was mentioned briefly earlier, PSD2 becomes key in actually getting access to that data and convincing people that you're moving that data, it's safe, that they're still in control of it. Like, how do we start going about making sure that people feel their data is safe in, in that sort of world? And and can you display that to them? Is that something you can make them feel with product design? Like, how, I, what do you think? I thought? think the key thing for me was the word
5: trust. Like, so it's going to take some time and there's going to be an adoption curve as there, as there is with anything, however, where do people trust? Because money is very emotive. Data is the new money. Do you mean, it's, it's the same thing. So how do um, organizations build that trust? Who are going to be the adopters? I think how you show incremental value. So there's going to be a lot of work. I think the gaming theory is a really good one, actually. So how do you show someone that this is a useful thing to do? Uh, why does it add value to your life because part of this is a value exchange that you're having to give something which is your yeah. your data to to get something else so i think how they how companies smaller players i mean how they're going to partner with larger organizations is going to be critical and how they how quickly they can scale um throughout the whole uh, generational cycle in the uk is going to be a really
6: interesting one to uh, watch and, and that's such a key point with working out the how psd2 comes to life because in, in some ways, the, the legislation covers you know, five or 10% or, or less of really what needs to be in place. Liability models, security models, insurance models, who's going to run the registry? How do you get in? How, as a startup or a business, do you get in there? How is that managed? How are customers protected against mis-selling because of all of these APIs and affiliate deals? There's so much market to work out. And I know the implementation entity and the CMA9 and a whole different groups are, are like a working Particularly hard on trying to solve some really like big industry problems in order to to make this playground that innovation can. can it's
2: strange drive. how those those bodies didn't exist when you can just download the transaction data in an Excel spreadsheet. Now it's become automated. and say well, we have to have control. We have to have trust. Mm. You didn't care before when it was manual and difficult. And that's there's an interesting thing I'm fascinated by the whole data pushback. I own my data, and at the moment I don't own my data. But lots of governments starting to push for that for that aspect, GDPR. and that's, and that's gonna change things because if you're using my, you know, you, you want to suck in more data to yeah. somehow accurately paint this picture of me, A, a, you're making assumptions about me, that's mm. very tricky, and B, also, I might I might have a different aspirations. I might drink 37 pounds a month of
1: beer, but I yeah. aspire to drink but <laughs> far less.
2: There's some interesting challenges there between yeah, so yeah. people will want the perfect yeah. analytic net
0: view and other people Pr- will... Probably this is, this is off topic, but there's, there's, there's a new topic which are uh, where are the red lines of the ethical uh, thing? Who, who do I want to have this complete picture of myself? Uh, and, until today only governments have something that's close to that, not, 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 not even that much. So am I ready to give that uh, access to my bank or to any third party private institution? Uh, what are they going to do with, with that? So, this is uh, pretty much off topic, but... Almost,
6: almost expanding that, I'm interested in the unintended consequences on wave of change that PSD2 and Open Banking could have. Because for instance, you know, you talk about utilities. Mm-hmm. What if, uh, What if? Well, we, and we were talking to Tandem about assisting customers to switch you know, what if I, uh, if if my bank or all of the banks start to look at the cost of my utility bills mm. and not my expenses and suddenly decide en masse to, to represent their customer base and get a better deal and switch everyone, you know, and then multiply that by every, all of those industries. Right. And all of a sudden that has some like really unintended like society con- consequences on ecosystems of businesses where you know, suddenly we've got group buying on a sixty-five million account scale. You know, so I'm not going
5: to mention anything specific because I don't know if I can. But you watch this space in a couple of weeks. So we've got a pilot going live very soon. Mr. Hales is nodding, <laughs> uh, but it's, um, it's going to be really cool. We're covering some of what you've just said, Whoa. and it's all around partnering. So the, the key question I thought was gonna be asked today and I haven't, so I'm just gonna answer it anyway, was um, how do you partner with uh, FinTechs and what does a post PSD 2 world look like? I think the analogy I was um, thinking about was um, organizations and society as a whole um, buy 70 times as many paracetamol as they do vitamins. So what I want fintechs to help us do is to solve problems, not to supplement our life by 1%. It's probably better in some instances to take a vitamin. It might help, however, 70 to 1 just pays for itself. The thing where um, I think we can play is, we we touched upon it. I think uh, Aidan was mentioning it around uh, data protection is, Protecting individuals' data is super important. We've done some really cool stuff with two startups from Tel Aviv. It's behind the scenes of our online banking and mobile banking platform to support um, on a biometric scale and using data to uh, remove fraud. We've removed a significant amount of fraud following that and reducing the risk for customers, I would hope. And it's uh, part of our online banking application is people would be okay with that. Aidan, I'm going to save you money and ch- reduce your risk. Are you comfortable? Yes, please. Um, so I think do you mean, where we partner is really important. How we solve problems for customers and society is, is, is important. And PSD2 for us creates more opportunity to solve more problems for the whole of our customer base. So
6: do you see PSD2 as supplementing Barclays services? You know, uh, I'm not asking you to talk on behalf of Barclays, but for big banks, is this a case of owning and building the interface or bringing the right startups in front of house and back of house in order to provide better services? I
5: think it's it has to be a combination of both. So we have some great colleagues, some great engineers that are building some great things. I think where we can and people um, develop at scale and are incredible at what they do, then absolutely we're going to partner. I think PSD2 and the word own I don't like because you customers have to give you it's your choice like customers make choices every single day and we want to be the best that the customers can do and again it's a bit i mean barclays blue however i think we're set up exactly to do that and like i was saying before competition drives innovation and it makes us work harder and when you guys do something cool we have to do I you mean we're like that's cool we need to do something like that particularly where it's a uh, customer centric but for me it's psd2 cma do you mean ultimately will enable us to do good things, but the customer is ultimately in charge of what
1: they choose to do and will make decisions um, on that basis. I think the industry has an interesting challenge there because like on the one level, if it's in your dominion of control, like you know, um, online banking and so on, you can really do stuff with FinTechs or without FinTechs to really you know, kind of reduce risk. But if the data is going outside of your dominion of control and is now with a startup, like you're still kind of, you. Know, want to protect the customer naturally you're inclined to so that's a, a really hard thing that i think the whole industry is going to wrestle with and grapple with uh, how's how's plumb dealing with this i mean how do you how do you interface with,
6: with or do you interface with banks would you have any plan of doing that
4: i mean we i mean we we use the the classic kind of scrapers that are out there that you know the got the office that's next door uh i mean effectively to 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 capture this data and, and i mean psd2 is super exciting for us because it's it's putting you know, a better framework around around how to access data, more security around it, and probably hopefully explaining it, making it more and more of a norm to customers to share this data.
2: I'm interested in what would be the dream data sets? What you, kind of data you would like to get out? you think, oh, we could, we could create the perfect service if we had this. Obviously subconscious thought, maybe. <laughs>
4: okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think, again, being a bit of a pessimist, but I think we, we overthink how much we can get out of this data. I mean, I think the data is great, but like, I think it really will become about like offering, when you really think about how many things go on in an account, it's kind of like when you think of the life cycle of someone's life, right? There's probably like a few things you can do in their account to prove, like in switching utility bill provider, you can you can prevent direct debits that are hanging there, etc. But the biggest thing is also like kind of in that life cycle, figuring out like kind of the products at the right points that, that they want. So. So I don't know. I, I think I think we'll have enough data, uh, and I think more of the challenge is to get like cool products out of it. So and I guess that
6: leads to strands because obviously PSD two radically changes the industry that you work in in terms of you know building interfaces and PFM for banks. You know, do you do you start to do it for fintechs as well? Do you have your own thing? Like, how does it d- evolve?
0: That's. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, for us, it's, it's a different business to, to build the, the scrapers and the robots. This is not our business. We are more on the side of uh, advanced analytics and on the machine learning side. So we, we consume that information and we leave that to the YODs and these type of, of companies. Um, but I understand that from banks poses a, somehow a, a difficulty. I was in a meeting with, with a high street bank um, two weeks ago and one of the executives said, look, we are either aggregate or we will be aggregated. And this will spoil our investment in our new digital channels because people will not use them. Hmm. So there is somehow a race to gain that position based on the promise of well, data earlier, there can too.
1: only be so many platforms. It's a bit like um, Highlander, right? In the end, there could probably only be one, or certainly <laughs> two or three, um, and then a good movie to finish it. But the, 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 <laughs> like, if everybody's aggregating the front end... There's a really interesting thing. Do you strategically drive at becoming the platform and care less about your front end? Do you strategically drive at being the best brand and front end and give away your platform? I think we're probably going to see the second where people see the back end and the asset piece as, you know, the the, the technology and all that sort of stuff as being commoditized and not their expertise, but actually managing risk and looking after customers as being the strength.
3: I guess, you know, maybe to, to wrap this up, one one question is why are we still talking about this? So it's, you know, it's 20, <laughs> yeah, what are 2017. Doing? <laughs> 2017, right? You know, I think it was when, uh, when I was at Lloyd's, we launched uh, Money Manager, 2011 that was, in terms of doing it. Like, and there hasn't been significant progress or traction in banks over that period. Why is this still a thing? Why are we still talking about it? What is the inhibitors that are actually stopping this type of implementation or these types of radical changes about how you interact with your customers on a day-to-day basis? Is it data? Is
0: it that it breaks down business models? What, what's the what's the major inhibitor? That, that's a good question. So I would say uh, mon- money for, for people is a very scarce resource. So the interest to manage it properly has been driving uh, new ways to uh, understand how what, what's what the, the best engagement with banks. I guess we, we are not there yet because... All these mobile platforms that banks offer uh, sit close to these new uh, other platforms like WhatsApp, like Facebook, like um, the Netflix, mm. and these are providing radical new experiences that banks are trying to emulate, and this is driving the continuous change on, on how banks should find more user adoption or, or better ways mm. to, to engage with individuals.
4: I think it's just, I I think it's kind of the the maturity of of the ecosystem of of kind of like where we're getting. So like when you think about like, uh Transferwise is one of the first fintechs, you know, in London, and and when you think about how old they are, you're like, Jesus, it was like two thousand eleven. That's actually like kind of the same time when Lloyd's launched that thing, right? And back then it was probably, you know, really um, controversial. You're sending your money to an unknown bank account, and they, you trust them, they're going to put it out in the other way. But I think, and then you've had a lot of services that have been disrupted, right? Classic, you know, like lending, uh, Nutmeg, wealth management, etc. And and I think, and, and I think when you think about like that, if you take Transferwise as the beginning, you're like, okay, this company's been around for six years now. Probably uh, the number of people on the street that know transfer eyes in London now is like, in the UK is probably, I don't know, random number, like one in like five maybe even, right? So I think that level of maturity and that the, the, the all the verticals were disrupted and I think now they're like really, really actually gonna come together and I think people are ready for it. So I think there's a bit about change takes time. Mm. Yeah, I remember
1: seeing uh, a really good adoption curve of uh, digital banking maybe in two thousand ten, eleven, or something. And it sort of shows, shows digital banking from when it's launched in two thousand to two thousand ten, going up to around thirty percent and plateauing. Yeah. And then when mobile banking comes along, there's like a whole new generation of people, and that goes up to around thirty percent. And digital banking starts inching its way back up. And it's it, maybe there's a generational shift here of changing habits. <laughs> but me, you've, you've
6: also got. You've got a moving finish line. The iPhone came in 2007. It hasn't been a long time since these services started. And if you think of what's launched and how all of our lives are diff- very different in the last few years, you know that finish line of what good looks like, mm. what amazing, digital mobile services look like, is disappearing off into the distance. So maybe it's a perceptual thing. The work's going on, the improvements are continuing to happen, but the speed of change at, across digital is just you know getting so fast. I think it's a shameless plug for you guys.
5: So couldn't agree more, 1% finished. Yeah, but you, you cannot, so you're never gonna solve it. You have to take it day by day, alert by alert, notification and notification. If you go too hard and you try and solve it in, in one go, customers will go, what has happened <laughs> yeah. to me? I've got 20 text messages because I spent £37 on beer. I spent £50 on, on tea towels. Very sad life. <laughs> um, but for me, you have to learn from customers. You have to get data out there. You change the model and things when you're sending, when you're talking scale, 5, 10, 15 million customers, you do not want to annoy 100,000 people and you can do very, very quickly. So we have to approach this in such a um, customer-centric way. Uh, but absolutely, it's a, it's a moving position and the, the goalpost gets moved out because expectations raise. So I mean, we, are, we all collectively, industry, need to keep at it and it's only 1% finished. And what do you think? I was going to say, I don't think we've seen what good looks like yet. I think it's still
2: early. You said earlier about innovation drives competition. We've not seen a really
3: great banking interface. Mm-hmm. We've not seen anything that's, I think, is possible, hopefully. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we we talk about the 1% finished piece a lot, and I think you know it really, Frankie, it's, it's not a completion. We never think that actually anybody's ever going to get to 100%, but it's the aspiration that it's not finished. Mm-hmm. So actually moving towards and continually evolving these things and moving them forward. I think we probably all collectively agree that it's probably time to stop talking about PFM and start doing it really so maybe on that note Frankie where can we hear more about what Barclays are doing
5: Um, check us out our website we're um, we're, I mean I think we have our own BBC news section
4: so add Barclays as a BBC news tab that would be great fancy (laughs) Victor where can we hear more about Plum I mean we're we've we've recently you know opened up the gate so people can um, start using I mean uh, it's uh, you go through the website you go on messenger and start talking to with Plum with Plum basically on messenger and start saving Sounds good. And Pao, where can we hear more about we Stranz?
0: We're moving more on, on the uh, machine learning and AI space and specifically on the wealth management.
3: So they can find you, what's your web address or Twitter? handle?
0: www.stranz.com
3: really Strands.com. Yeah. Fantastic. And that's it for now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. This helps people discover us. And if you want to learn more about the team behind Fintech Insider, please visit 11fs.co.uk. That's the number 11, not spelled 11. That's all for now. Thanks.